This is Film Trauma Podcast, and I am your host, Rick, and I spent my entire life savings buying Blu-rays. I have a lot of downtime as a professional tattoo artist, and instead of using that time productively to research my next art project, I spent it browsing Blu-ray forums, Instagram, and Facebook groups dedicated to collecting films released by boutique labels like Severin Films, Vinegar Syndrome, American Genre Film Archive, Arrow, just to name a few. When I saw a Blu-ray collection that rivaled my own, I would feel green with envy and red with rage, and I was compelled to fill my shelves with the films I felt my collection was missing. Now I find myself on the brink of financial ruin, but I've decided to spend my time on movies rather than my life savings and rediscover all the things that made me fall in love with the movies in the first place. If you're curious about what's in my top shelf collection, I've logged everything on Letterboxd. You can find me there under Film Trauma. I'm also on Instagram at Film Trauma Podcast and Twitter at Film Trauma Pod. Now, let's get into today's episode. All right. And we are back. Jalo January continues. Rob is with me today again, thankfully, to go over some more Jalo classics. And today we have a couple of doozies. What do we have? We have uh, Dario Argento's Four Flies on Grey Velvet. And then you tell us about the other one. We have uh, Puppy Avadis, The House with the Laughing Windows. Now, you didn't have a copy of Four Flies on Grey Velvet, and I didn't have a copy of The House with the Laughing Windows. So we did a, a quick swap, and I watched your copy, you watched mine, and that worked really well, actually. So. It did work really well. It, it's kind of hard to all get joint viewings in process because it just seems like our conversation and our company kind of overshadows what's ever on the screen. Would you agree? Yeah, not a lot of downtime in our uh, social interactions. And I find I'm just, I'm able to watch movies um, in, with gaps in my schedule mm-hmm. as they are, you know. So, you know, I'll, sure. I'll, I work pretty early, so do you, and I'll get home earlier than you might, but I'll be able to squeeze in a movie. But lately I haven't been because we've been working hard on our screenplay, but the last several weeks, I was just doing three movies a day, but um, I was able to actually watch one movie this week, and it was The House of the Laughing Windows, and I was really, 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 really happy that I experienced this film because it was a complete and total surprise. I really wasn't looking forward to it very much because the clips that I saw were very boring, and when I had started it before on YouTube, I was like, eh, this does not interest me, but actually the DVD copy, the shameless video entertainment DVD copy that you had the it looked it looked actually really good and the sound yeah i thought so it looked good and the sound was good and i uh particularly enjoyed the direct the interview with the director afterwards i found that incredibly insightful and i really really like um puppy i don't think it's poopy i think it's puppy yeah i, I think it's, <laughs> it's a hard name to yeah, pronounce it's, yeah it's got to be puppy yeah i'm pretty sure it is so um should we start with that one since you have the copy in front of you? Yeah, let me just read from the back of the box here. Shameless Fan Edition. Uh, often mentioned yet rarely seen, director Poopy Avati's legendary cult horror masterpiece finally gets the release it deserves. 
Restored and remastered under a director's supervision, it is presented with new audio, new improved subtitles, plus an exclusive interview with the director, making this the definitive release of this intelligent shocker. Stefano, a young artist, arrives in a tranquil Italian village to restore the local church's fresco of the St. Sebastian Martyr, depicting the saint's bloody body slashed by arrows, painted some years earlier by a deranged local artist who, villagers hint, created snuff paintings by torturing his models, who were in the throes of dying when he painted them. Gradually, Stefano discovers the rumors about the painter might be true as the villagers' gruesome and taboo secrets unravels into a seething web of madness, gory deaths, and unspeakable horror culminating in a final diabolical twist and jaw-dropping conclusion. Um, I think that I think that the back of the box makes this film sound way more exciting than it really is. Well, yeah, this is a a slow burn film, um, and I was a little concerned about that too. But what I really like about this film, and you have to tell me if you feel the same way about it, is it does a really good job building the world that the story takes place in. This doesn't take place in Rome. It's not a hustle bustle where we're going from one busy location to a next. It takes place in a very small villa, a small little rural town where nothing is quite as. Yeah, and do you know why that is? Do you know why that it takes place? Oh, you sorry, you're kind of cutting out a little bit. Oh, hang on. Do you know why it is? Um, that? that that it takes place in the countryside because the director uh, was a guy who grew up in the country. And he said that he wanted to show a different side of the Italian horror. He didn't want to do a dark castle or he said paper mache walls, I believe, something like that. Like he said the idea of the contrast of the dark and bright sunny side showing a different side of Italy was a bit more horrific and also because you know it's reminiscent of his home and sure. in in those towns they have a lot of supernatural a lot of folklore a lot of um horrifying scary stories they tell children so the idea yeah. you know so the, the idea for the story really was um a, a blend like this thing where they told a, this gruesome story to the kids in the village that there was a woman who was disguised as a priest. And if you didn't behave, she'd kill you. She'd kill yeah. you. Did you watch the interview with him? I did. Yeah. You're, you're kind of jogging my memory again. Yeah, yeah. 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 And just the idea of like the long fingernails and you know, if you don't, you know, and he said, then they said something like, uh, of course, every noise in an old house was the, was the woman nun come or the woman priest coming to get you. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and it takes its time introducing the people, but what I really like about it is it gives you the piece of the story, one piece at a time, in an order that makes sense, Yeah, and every piece kind of delivers and adds just another layer of doom or dread. You know, the uh, painting or the mosaic that he's hired to restore is gruesome, you know, and then he gets kicked out of the boarding house because the tourists arrive, and then he gets forced to shock up with this little old lady recluse who's, you know, is she the only one there or someone else coming up and down the stairs? 
he has you know a fling with a young lady in the village and they find that recording and that recording is so sinister where you get to hear the speech patterns of the deceased painter and then even has this part in there where it plays by itself like when no one's around and then it won't play again when they want it to play yeah and then when they finally found the, the actual house with the laughing windows you know the these big kind of Mick Jagger style grinning lips on the outside of the building um I, they just did a really good job, like with backstory, revealing a little bit more about the painter, a little bit more about the town, and I thought it had a pretty good twist that the old lady was actually one of his surviving sisters, and they brought him victims for him to paint, you know, yeah. and uh, and yeah. then of course she showed him where the bone pile was, and then he tries to uh, bring it to the police attention, but by the time he gets back, someone's removed the bones, so they all think he's crazy. Um, so I don't know. I really liked this movie. I liked it a lot more than I thought I w- would, to be honest with you. Yeah, basically the story follows this dude, um, Stefano, who is tasked with restoring a fresco in this church. They don't really go into more detail than that. They don't really say much about him or where he came from, just that he was tasked to do this and that yeah. um, nothing much happens and there's no real attraction in this small town for anything other than their their thermal waters, which I, which I guess meaning that um, it's a nice warm place to swim over there. And he gets to this strange town. There's a lot of strange people with strange music and everyone looks very odd and behaves very oddly. And there seems to be an epidemic of syphilis running wild in this town that's like driving everyone crazy. And um, there's a local prostitute who, yes. who you don't know if she has syphilis or not. And I thought, like, the idea of him that I sort of expected was that he would, you know, he, since after he fell for that woman, um, <clears throat> that since he had visited the prostitute, that he had contracted syphilis and that um, everything that was happening was slowly driving him mad. So, yeah, you touched on a couple of things. He He gets to the house. He meets a couple strange people when he gets to the fresco in the church he meets the priest for the first time and um yeah there's a lot of really cool elements a lot of really inspiring elements especially for the story that we're working on that we're writing together i thought this movie came along for me at the perfect time because i had um really got some good inspiration out of it in the last couple of days yeah and i really think it opens really really strong with a pretty horrific image there of that person kind of suspended from the ceiling and getting stabbed and then if i'm not mistaken we have a similar type uh scene at the end too well that's, that's the, also yeah pretty gruesome and that's the painter himself right I think, I think that's depicting the murder of the painter by the sisters because they had this incestuous relationship and according to the director, uh, those weird incestuous relationships were pretty common in those uh, small little hamlets in Italy. It's what, according to him, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to, I don't, I, that was news to me, but, but apparently the families were very large and there was a lot of uh, shenanigans going on according to him. So, um, he wanted to write about something like that because it was a very dark and lurid taboo subject, probably very titillating at the time, something a bit more interesting layer to throw in there. And the idea was that the man had given his sisters syphilis, I think, and they were he was going crazy, and they wanted to keep this relationship going, so they killed him, and they preserved his body in this formalin, 
which when they reveal it at the end and this stowed away in this closet, it's a very, it's a very like amicus, you know, like Peter Cushing, British a horror, hammer, horror, hammer yeah. horror, very much a hammer horror level of a uh, low budget special effects, but it was very grim. So, yeah, I think so. And I know Eli Roth is a pretty big fan of this movie. So oh, okay. uh, I can see that. Yeah. Definitely see yeah. that. It's uh, oh, yeah. it belongs in the collection. It does, but it's not your, it's not, it's nothing at all like blood and black lace. It's nothing at all like snobbery. I can't really think of another one that's, that's quite like this, to be honest with you. No, and there's a reason for that too, because um, the director himself said that he didn't pay attention to anything that anyone else was doing. He didn't, he wanted to make original work and didn't really care about other um, artists in the genre, the directors. And he said, you know, I would sit down to write and make my movie. And if someone else was making the same movie, I wouldn't know. And I like to keep myself ignorant to keep my ideas pure. And I thought that was a really poignant thing to say. And it was a really good point that he made is he just wanted to keep his mind clean and then stay as creative as possible. And, and these filmmakers influenced by Fellini, you know, were just really they were auteurs and, and they had a lot of integrity and they really had to set themselves apart because this was post-war Italy, you know? So, yeah. so I don't know. I really respected him from that. He said that he did see Argento's The Bird with the Crystal Plumage and he really enjoyed that. And then he said he worked with Dario Argento for two days on writing the script for Deep Red and they didn't get along or something. And he, he said for the better, he, um, left the project and was replaced by the other screenwriter. So, yeah, well, I, I really like that. He holds held true to, he just wanted to tell his story. I think there's something to, uh, obviously today's world is, is a little different than, you know, nearly 50 years ago than when this film was made, but there's something admirable about a guy who wants to limit other influences. He doesn't want to cl- cloud the water, so to speak. He wants to tell his story the way he wants to tell it. Now that always, doesn't necessarily work out, but I admire him for for limiting his distractions. Oh, I agree completely. Yeah, he just um, he stayed free of it, and that actually that reminded me a lot of of you, Rob. He said that he's just dis- <laughs> he, he's disconnected from all these things, and when he was talking about you know being a creative guy, just being unspoiled by the modern world, I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a really cool thing. Now there, there's there, you know, that's for the better or for the worse, because I think that like in some aspects you save yourself from becoming bitter or jaded or, but other, but other times too, you may miss out on one little juicy little detail that could spawn a whole series of ideas in your, in your brain, sure. you know, and I, I surround myself with lots of artwork and stuff like that. I, I collect artwork uh, online. I see a lot of that stuff, and it, it really has inspired entire screenplays that I've written. So I, I would hate to be that disconnected, but I also understand why people choose to do that. It's very, um, I, I would say it's a very liberating feeling, I would imagine. Yeah, and, you know, we all draw uh, inspiration and ideas from from different mediums. I grew up in a rural area where our nearest neighbor wasn't even in sight and town was about, you know, 10 minutes away or something like that. And, you know, over the years, as long as I can remember, I've oftentimes done a lot of my best thinking in nature, walking, you know, whether there's 
of the breeze or the rustle of the tree branches or looking over the rolling hills or seeing a, a car in the distance that's small then gets gradually closer as Absolutely. it comes along. So we all can draw inspiration like that differently. And now sometimes, too, I even think like if I'm going to a business and I park or something like that, and I'm like, ooh, I kind of like this brick building with the rusty fire escape on yep. the side, or I like how it's kind of lit at the night. So we all draw inspiration from uh, from different sources. And definitely, I'm sure there's lots of things that I would find uh, stimulating and, and engrossing and, and stuff like that. It's just, does my biased mind want to shift through a lot of the perceived shit to, to find the uh, diamond in the rough. So I yeah. think you have a valid point, but it's, yeah, I, I get it from elsewhere too. So Yeah, for sure. For sure. And um, back to this movie a little bit. There's a really interesting little character in here. I can't remember his name. He's the really short-statured guy in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Who had that really huge tall driver, right, in the luxury car? Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting choice. He was a really interesting looking actor. And I don't know really, really think they did much with his character. He comes in a couple times here and there. He just serves as a bit of exposition, and he's just kind of you know peppered in throughout the story. But I don't know. I thought it was really weird, and um, I, I, I was trying to so hard to keep my attention on this movie, and I'm, it, it worked for the most part. But I think at the end there, I kind of drifted off, and I missed, I think, a couple little subtle nuances of the ending of the story. But... Um, Overall, I really enjoyed it, and actually, the 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 director's brother was like I think he was the assistant director and the producer and all those other things, the art director, and his brother is the one who painted the mouths on the windows. I thought that was really That's interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because um, they had um, been a ra- they had been charged with obscenity, and the film that they had made was seized by the police. And they were very depressed about this. So they had an idea to make a very, very, very low-budget film. And the, he came up with The House with Laughing Windows because he wrote the script in, in one night. At least the treatment he wrote in one night. Sure. And, and he had to get, they had to get back on that horse after their film was seized for obscenity. Because back then they had obscenity laws. And if you broke the law, man, they could, that could jeopardize your entire future. And that's almost what happened to them. So, but he's, yeah. you know, and this film over the years has not been very popular when it first came out, but as the DVD, after the DVD was released, it's got a whole new life online. Yeah, and talk about, you know, some of the stuff we take for granted. I don't really don't think they're too concerned about people's First Amendment rights at that point in time. Right, right. This is in the not too distant past. Um, if you had to pick one thing about this movie that you enjoyed the most, what would you pick? I really like the the ambiance of this film. I like the I like the dark and sinister tone of it. I like I like the folk horror aspect because I would argue that this is not a giallo but a giallo outlier in as much as like Suspiria would be or you know something like one of the other ones, uh, All the Colors of the Dark. And in fact, I I do believe there is a reference to All the Colors of the Dark or they reference this one. Um in one of the two, they borrowed from it, um, but I, I just think it's the gothic mood, the folk horror aspect of it, just like the sinister, tortured characters and how grim and oppressive it felt. And just even though like the film itself was very bright and it was shot really well, like he's a good director, you know that he's got some stunning wide shots and he really knows how to capture 
the feel of that that land and the landscape and the dude's a good director so i guess to answer your question it would be the the dark gothic tone the folk horror tone of it that made it feel more like the wicker man than anything else sure yeah that's that's nice if i had to pick one thing i really really love the use of the tape recordings i i i just thought that was so clever and so chilling and whoever recorded the audio for that you know sounds kind of crackling it kind of sounds distorted they picked the great words a lot of short choppy um grim descriptive sentences so i something about that tape recorder thing when when that when that was first introduced because i was found myself drifting a little bit that brought me right back and i just i really loved the use of that and i know some people say oh be careful about you know hanging too much on an object you know stay away from people looking at pictures or, or things like that and it's like you know what, if it works for the story, it works. You know, if that's all you have, you might have a problem. But if you put it in there and you write the scene properly or explain why it's in there or reveal it later, it pays off. And I just thought that tape recorder was fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I would, I'd argue that if you if you think that way, then you can go back and look at Evil Dead 1, Evil Dead 2, the use of the tape recorder in there as a plot device. It, it works really well. I mean... It's just a way, it is, a, of course, yeah, it's used for exposition, of course, but um, it's just a cheap little gag that kind of gets the story moving. And in order to cut 20 minutes, you kind of have to do that. And I, I really liked the tape recorder in here. They found it, they used it. Not only did was it creepy and it, and it was effective, but it looked really cool. And I liked yeah. how... And I liked how they kept, he kept bringing it out. And, and when he needed it to work again, it didn't work for him. And he, then he blamed uh, Francesca or whatever her name was uh, for... Yeah, yeah, for listening to it or something. Or, or erasing, like, it. erasing it. And then he got mad at her. And then, and then like, and that sort of, like, um, you know, this, this whole thing with he's trying to figure out who killed his friend and all this is going on. And then he winds up, he and Francesca, I think that's her name, they separate... And he, and the other guy th- takes him on this journey towards the house, the laughing windows, and then the creepy intern kid at the church uh, winds up um, killing his lover. And that was a really shocking sequence to me because I didn't. I mean, he was. I knew he was attacking her or whatever. But like when they're separated and you know he's trying to. You're like, oh my god! It was a. It was a really. It was an actually like a really tense moment in that whole film, um, and it felt very real and, and it and it was very effective to me for me, and it was sort of unlike any of the other giallos that feel a bit cartoony and you're you're, you you know you're very disconnected from emotionally from those films but this was had a bit different effect on me because it felt more real it felt like a snuff film or something you know and and then when he runs upstairs all the way up back up to you know the the house and he opens the door and she's dead she's been stabbed in the side like like the martyr saint sebastian or whatever he just like him yeah I, i was like oh my god this is uh crazy yeah, because you sent me a text. You're like, this movie is bananas, you know. So I didn't want to ask, like, huh, or well, what part are you watching next? I knew we'd get to talk about it, but so what do you uh, what do you give this one on a scale of one to five? I, I'm comfortable with a, a solid three and a half with this one. Um, I, I definitely think it's a it's such a strange and effective and weird film. 
But the only, my only problem I think with it was that it was painfully slow. And I think that it could have um, done with about 10, 15 minutes of editing. I think it was way too long. I think 85 minutes would have been perfect for this, but it clocked in at around an hour and 47 minutes. I think that was just too long. Yeah, I think um, maybe cut the scene where he's fishing by the dock and, and, and maybe trim up some of these scenes where he has a couple really long conversations that just kind of go on and try to find a way to... Throw in another scene of, of tension or, or doom or or uh, no, some just didn't really have much POV work at all, and it didn't really have a high body count, which is very different from some of the other uh, giallos too. But I think if there had been a scene or two in there that just would kind of get your attention, bring you back, give you a little more something, a little. Uh, more action, a little more excitement somewhere. Even if they were brief scenes, yeah, it would make would make the slower parts uh, have been a little more tolerable. Yeah, I agree. So, There's two on-screen deaths in the film, and then you hear we hear from the reporter kid that um, people just die. That a lot of people disappear from that little town, and all the deaths appear off off screen. Um, I think that, and then even when the priest. The priest says he kills the guy who killed Francesca. They don't think they show that in the film. He, I think he kills him off screen. And, yeah, uh, you know. Maybe it was just resources or lack of. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, and that's fine. It, it's not necessary. It, but it's, that's why this film really is, it's a giallo outlier. I don't know that I consider it a straight giallo or not. Maybe it is. It doesn't feel like a genre film. It just feels like, it doesn't feel like a folk horror it feels like um, it just feels like a horror film, like a, a strange Italian horror film that's completely different than anything else, and that's why I think this is one a good one to recommend to Die Hard fans. I wouldn't recommend okay. this to a casual fan. No, no, a casual fan isn't going to have. Uh, I'm just assuming here probably have viewed enough of these movies to recognize the differences. If they've only ever viewed a few of them, um, they're going to assume most of them are like that. Yeah. So the gl- the glaring differences in this film may not be very appealing. Right. Um, but I I agree with you. I I think three and a half stars is fair because this is an above average film, but it's it's not quite uh, in that four star category. Right. 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 So I was expecting it to be a shallow, but I'm glad it fell on the on the outliers list. Like. Um, with all the colors of the dark and Suspiria and all that. It fits really well with those, and I would be comfortable placing it on my shelf next to those movies because you're like, okay, I'm in the mood for something a little out there, and those, they fit really well, where, you know, and, and this is definitely more on the sinister end of that. So I, I, it was a really good a really good watch for me, very enjoyable, and I would, I, um, was interested in checking out more from Shameless Films, and I was looking up their collections online, and I was annoyed to find out that they have one of those sets where every release forms a picture along the spine, and it really annoyed me that I wasn't on top of that, and I've been collecting these the entire time because I would love a shelf of Shameless deep Blu-ray DVDs 
all that yellow together with the shameless logo along the spines. I, I need That'd to own awesome. You know, yeah, dude. Like I need to own every single one of these films. So now I'm going to be really annoyed. And I'm going to have to hunt down all these movies. And um, they have a website, shameless-films.com. And they all their all their blue all their DVDs are cheap. They're like twelve bucks, you know, twelve pounds or whatever, eight pounds. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna place a big order through those guys, even though I'm not supposed to be buying anything else this year. Um, well, oh, it's funny because I was trying to track down a copy of this, and I was a little discouraged because a lot of the stuff I was finding was very high priced, and uh, I never go with anything that's priced the lowest because I've I've been burnt on that before so yeah. i always like to try to find something that's kind of a happy medium and i didn't know that that 18 logo meant that it was not a region one yeah yeah so thank you for letting me borrow your region free player sure uh late last year so i could uh finally watch this one but uh i'll have to track down another one because i just don't see myself being happy only watching this movie one time no it's it's a fantastic film uh, i don't i don't know that i I think I I would like to see an edit of this movie, uh, maybe down to 10, 15 minutes. I'd like to see some of the dark and sinister moments again. They were very, very effective and very cool. But it would take a lot for me to want to sit through this film slow moments again. I think that's probably why it's not going to get any higher than a three for me and why some of these other giallo rate a bit higher because of their watchability factor, rewatchability factor. Yeah, this movie has some good reference material. Yeah. You know, if you, if you want to just look at how to kind of cast that storm cloud overhead. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, I, I, like I said, I liked the world building in this one. Yeah, me so, too. Yeah. Me too. We're both, we're both in agreement on that one. Well, you let me borrow your very nice copy, 4K, Ultra HD, four-disc set of 1971, Four Flies on Grey Velvet. So this is the... Third feature from writer-director Dario Argento, the final film in his legendary Animal Trilogy, which, if you're not familiar, the first one is The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and the second is The Cat Nine Tails. This one has long been the least seen of his Giallo classics until now, when a rock drummer, played by Michael Brandon, accidentally kills a stranger, he'll unlock a nightmare of blackmail, paranoia, and grisly murder that climaxes with arguably the most visually impressive sequence in any of Argento's movies. Yes. It stars Mimsy Farmer, who's also an autopsy, yep. Jean-Pierre Mariel, the perfume of Yvonne, and Bud Spencer, the five-man army, co-stars Horror Holy Grail and one of the great works of post-modern dread, co-written by Luigi Tassi and featuring a nerve-jangling score by Ennio Morricone, who is, of course, well-known Mm. in the Italian film history. You know, going back to uh, House real quick, I thought that um, that would have benefited from a Morricone soundtrack completely. That's what that film was missing. Yeah, because it's very effective when you film a, like a Western or something like that that has these vast, desolate landscapes. It's very good to have like that wind kind of, woodwind type of music or like a harp or like, like the triangle. You know, because there's not a lot, you're not looking at a lot on screen, you need something that kind of sets that eerie tone or contemplates, you know, like the the vastness. Yeah. And yeah, maybe a little better score would have would have helped too, possibly. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Well, what did you think of, what did you think of Four Flies? Well, this was my first viewing of Four Flies, much like this was your first viewing of House of Laughing Windows. Um, you know, 
this movie to me is reminiscent of a lot of Dario's movies. It has a lot of style, a lot of technical prowess, a lot of uh, visual imagery that is just a, a sight to behold and a sight to enjoy. But then it also has some of the things that I don't like about some of Dario's movies. Some things that give a lot of screen time, they get almost no explanation, and sometimes a very weak or anticlimactic uh, ending. But I liked this movie enough. Um, I kind of liked that he gave a non-traditional occupation to the main character, a rock drummer. I think that's a little better than a novelist or, or somebody who you know, wants to become an amateur uh, detective. I liked the look of the killer with like that uh, mask that kind of reminds me of a Cupid mask or a slight variation of the mask that we see on the toy robot a few years later in Deep Red. Um, the kill sequences in here I don't think are anything spectacular, but the way they're filmed, a couple of them are pretty neat. Like when the lady gets stabbed in, or slashed in the face and she falls down the stairs dead, that's a really cool close-in sequence to see her kind of go down those stairs. Yeah, it was neat, for sure. And the film follows a, a rock drummer who is kind of walking along in Italy and he sees this dude who's following him, you know, and he's like, what the fuck, this guy's been following me for a few days. He confronts the guy and he winds up uh, believing that he accidentally murdered him in this really big... Um, what do we call auditorium. it? An auditorium. Like an auditorium. Yeah. Like, like we said, like he, our, like you said, Argento loves his auditoriums. So, yeah. He, he kills this man. Uh, he believes he kills this man in the auditorium, and he's photographed in the midst of his crime. And then the killer blackmails him by leaving Polaroids of the crime, uh, photographs of the crime in his apartment, sending them to him or whatever. And uh, during these really interesting sequences, I thought were very cool, where he had these big parties with all of his friends. I thought that was a really effective sort of who done it way to do things, where you have all this this really cool um, crime. Um, you're trying to figure out who did it. Is it this guy, this guy, this guy? Now that's what I like about Giallo is give me the who done it, give me the murder mystery. Yep. And don't fuck around. And he doesn't fuck around. Uh, at least for the first, I mean, almost the entire film until the very end, then it falls apart. But so then that's where that's basically the whole movie is is he's um, being hounded by this killer and he's trying to figure out who it is. And at some point he sends his wife away, like, oh, you have to get away because whatever, whatever. And he's just sort of slowly going mad, which is another trope of the genre where we see a character slowly losing their mind. That's right. And uh, what happens, that happens in the house and laughing windows. It happens in this one. Maybe it's just a, a trope of all films or it could just be Italian horror films or who knows. But you see sure. this theme a lot in these horror mil- films from Italy in the seventies, the character slowly losing their mind, whether it be man or woman. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the, the woman in uh, lizard and woman skin. It's also Edwish Fennec and all the colors of the dark strip um, nude for your I killer. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't help but laugh though. Um, the scene where the lady goes through like four red curtains and then we see her face like facing the camera. It's like, we would see this later in the beginning of uh, Deep Red when it's a very lavish interior of another auditorium and it features a huge, bigger opening of going through different red curtains and stuff like that. And then he spends way too much time in opera uh, fussing about the various 
carpeted stairs and corners and doorways and lights and balconies and where the band plays. Yeah, so yeah, the guy, so much. The, guy loved, the guy loved his opera houses, and I could see why. They're very photogenic. And uh, this also has a, a prop, I don't want to say gag, but something that he also does in Tenabre. In this yes. movie, the gag is the stiletto, where if you press the stiletto, the blade kind of retracts and fake blood drips down. Correct. In Tenabre, there's a button on the handle of the straight razor, which causes the uh, blood to come out. So he, he uses a, a couple devices in some of his stories. Well, and that's fine. I, I felt fine. I almost felt like... Um, Tanabre was sort of a direct reply to maybe criticism of Four Flies on Grey Velvet because he brings that back and he has a, he has an openly flamboyant homosexual character in Four Flies on Grey Velvet and I found his character really charming in the film I thought I thought it was kind of comical that he was just this flamboyant man and he you know of course he has that very cringy line like oh you think I'm gonna try to have sex with you because I'm gay or whatever but but I I liked and I've said this to you privately that I really liked his character arc because I thought he had the best character arc in the film the most complete one anyway I felt that he was a detective who was unhappy with his detecting ability and detective abilities and he was never able to solve a crime but when he does finally solve the crime he dies he dies it's a very bittersweet thing because he's like very proud at the end he's like oh i i solved the crime it was you i knew it was you and then he dies and you're like oh that's actually kind of a really cool thing and i feel really bad for you because i liked you you know but um within that it sort of peppered in these like homosexual references and nuances and flirtations and things that were Probably very risky, risque, uh, in the seventies in Italy. Um, but I think so. and I felt, yeah. and like I say, I felt like Tanabre was a direct comment on maybe criticisms for that film because of the return of the the fake weapon and and Tanabre, the movie critic or the TV critic, uh, critiquing his work about putting homosexuals in his 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 fiction. Yeah, and unlike this movie, I think Tanabre actually has a good ending. And let's, let's talk about the character in this film who has the absolute worst arc. Oh, His God. wife, oh my God. the killer, Terrible. With, the, with an absolutely weak, limp-wristed explanation, you reminded me of my father, and my father ignored me because he wanted a boy, so you had to be... Oh the yeah, last one to yeah. Die. And the cross dressing, yep. like what is it? A cross? Isn't she cross dressing too, or something like that? And part of it when is a childhood or something? Yeah, yeah. He made her dress up as a boy because he wanted a boy, and you reminded me of him, which may be so, but we never saw any type of image of her father at all, did we? Like nothing in a flashback, nothing in a photo, nothing in a dream sequence. It's just like, oh shit, I'm at the end of this movie and I don't have an ending figured out, so. Oh, let's just go with this. And that's completely accurate. That's exactly how he made that movie. He he didn't know. He went into that movie not knowing how he was going to end it, and he just fucking threw it out there. You're like, okay, that really shows, dude. It really shows. And it's a really, you know, weak explanation, but... I really did like the slow motion scene at the end where she gets jettisoned through her own windshield. But it's weird, though. She only drives for about 10 feet, and then she runs into that well, garbage truck that she never saw at a speed fast enough to 
kick her through the window. But you're not supposed to think about stuff like that. It's a cool visual. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you exactly why that why that happened the way that way. Because Dario Argento used this camera, and I think it was the camera, the same camera that they used to film the waves on From Here to Eternity or something like that. I think I'm remembering that accurately. If I'm not, I'm sorry. But it's this camera that was made not for filmmaking, but for capturing the precise moment where metals fuse together and the camera ran so incredibly fast it was something like 3,000 frames per second and it only took like I don't know just a, a few seconds for the film the, the camera to burn through an entire uh, roll of film so they had to put this grease on there to keep the film from bur- to keep from burning because it was moving so quickly, so they had to keep doing it over and over and over and over. And with a camera like that that runs that fast, you have to because of the slow motion speed because there's so much film. Right, the idea is like you film it so quickly and there's so much film that when you play it back at normal speed, it's very slow. So. Um, you need a lot of light. There's something with the aperture. I don't really understand how exactly how it works. Where the aperture is uh, shorter or, or, or um, not as open, not so therefore there's not that much light. So they had to like flood the whole thing with light. So that's why I like in that last ending sequence, it's very dark. It's very 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 dark. You know, but yeah, um, inside the apartment and stuff. Yeah. Well, in in the car crash sequence where they where they just kept showing it over and over, and it was just a very weird thing. Like he wanted to use this camera, so he created this plot device where it was like there was like some kind of machine that they had that was going to capture the images of death. Is that what it was? Oh yeah, because there was a a, a thin belief that. If you looked at the retina of someone's eyes, the eyes would retain the image of their killer. Remember? Which Something they, like that. And they do that in the X-Files, too, with yeah. Unruhu. But, um, yeah, it was just a, such a, like, a really weird thing. Like, he wanted to put this camera in there, so he had to come up with this sort of plot device for it. And I was like, okay. But, um, yeah, that's why that ending sequence, letting the last shot look the way it did. But, it, like you said, it was, it was very cool. It was very different. And um, But, yeah, it just... Her character arc was just a wet fart, and it, it was a big dis- <laughs> it was a big disservice to the film. I thought of the story at least. Yeah, I, I did like it enough that the guy you think he stabs in the beginning isn't dead, and I did like his death scene where he's that was uh, cool. Yeah, bludgeoned with that uh, brass pipe. I don't know if it's a table leg or part of a lamp or something, but that was filmed really, really cool, really stylish, uh, which is very consistent with a lot of his films, so uh, it gets points for that. I, I liked that, too. Um, nothing to explain the costume for the killer other than, obviously, she has to de- disguise herself because who's not going to recognize their own wife, you know? Black uh, man yeah, you. it was so weird. It was, And then, well, the one, th- one, one gripe about that film, too, was, like, they don't tell you what the idea of was behind... The costume, like even just give me like one little thing, like you just didn't explain it. Like where did she get it? What was the inspiration? Did she have a? Even if you just gave her a fucking doll that was the same fucking doll with a kid, and you know what I mean? It's like okay, I'm gonna dress like this doll. My dad gave me this doll, and he clubbed me over the head with it, and it made me feel bad. So now I'm gonna dress up like the doll and kill my husband because he reminds me of my father. It was okay. That would have been fine, but he didn't do any of that. So I was a little annoyed with that. But that being said, I thought it was a cool looking killer, and I liked the idea of this creepy dude. Running around the camera, I'm just like, hey, fuck you, you know. 
Yeah, definitely. And that's that's where style uh, trumps story. Yeah. yeah, which is unfortunate in a genre that uh, some of the stories can get very convoluted, and there can be a lot of loose ends or a lot of stuff to try to uh, tie up in the last few minutes of the film. Some yeah. of the endings are uh, borderline absurd, and you have to what? some of them i've actually had to rewind and watch again because i'm lost so yeah. this one i wasn't lost it was just very bad ending in my opinion very bad yeah and well and again too like when you um kind of zone out in these slower ones at least you're going to get that big exposition dump right at the end that unveils their master plan tells you everything that they're doing spells it out for you so in case you were Make it out with your girlfriend the whole time. Watch the last five minutes, and then you're all you're all up to speed. Now, have you seen Autopsy with Mimsy Farmer? No, I haven't. Um, I haven't got very far into uh, Forgotten Geology. I watched uh, The Girl in Room 2A, which I believe is on the second volume, and I haven't cracked into the uh, third one yet, which okay. does have Murder Mansion and Autopsy. I would suggest we watch that one for maybe the the last episode we do, because it is such a crazy movie. Um, in fact, I've seen it before, and I've threw it on right now as I'm watching, we're doing the podcast to have something going on in the background, and I would highly suggest we watch, we do uh, Autopsy for one of the films for the next uh, final episode of uh, January Gel. Okay, well, I'll tell you what then. You picked... Uh Autopsy, I, I think that's awesome. That's one that uh, we can watch, and uh, it'll be a first-time viewing for me. Yeah. And I have a challenge for you. Okay. I would like you to give Black Belly of the Tarantula a second chance. Watch it in its yeah, entirety. Yeah, I'll watch it, because that, that's, that's definitely a critical one for me. It's Martino. Got to see it. Um, I just I may have just been on Jello overload when I threw it on, so now I that, think you were. You know, now that I have a bit of distance from that intense marathon I was doing, I'll, I'll, I'll I do I have to watch it. I have to watch it again because I'm sure I'll like it. You know, I think you will too. And it's it was one that I got kind of a while ago, so I haven't watched it in a while either. Um, but I remember it has kind of a very sexy kind of erotic aspects to the beginning kind cool. of like torso a very stylized unique killing modus operandi um that's the one very where they, unusual that's the one where they find the the bodies at the bottom of that the steps right at the, the beginning they're um, they're outside and they find that's by the river because there's like those steps that go down to the canals in italy all uh, over i think that's the red queen kill seven times with the uh, find her down there. No, maybe. I don't know. Well, whatever. But yeah, I'll throw see, it on. See, they all blend together, even for us. <laughs> yeah, they they all blend together. But yeah, so um, overall, I'd like to do that, definitely. But overall, how do you rate Four Flies on Grey Velvet? To me, this is three stars. Okay. And the, the, the reason it's it's three stars is because it's, it's Dario. It's beautiful. It has some great visual some very memorable scenes. I mean, it's impeccably shot and everything like that. Um, but one of the worst endings, one of the weakest endings I could think of. And yeah. this to me is very consistent with my experiences with his films. I, I tend to either be really impressed by him or find myself 
um, wanting more. And, yeah. and I, this is, this is a good average film. I'm not going to sit here and try to say it's below average because it's definitely not, but I, I don't feel it's, uh, on par with the bird with the crystal plumage or Tanabre. Okay. Um, agreed, but it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's three stars, maybe even three and a half, but yeah. I don't think it's four. I, I completely agree with you. I'm going to go, I was going to say three and a half and it's, it's barely three and a half and I'll, I'm going to give it three and a half because it delivers on all of my genre tropes that I feel make a really, really good giallo. And even though the ending was absurd and preposterous, um, there, the great equalizer, I think overall is that it hits all of the benchmarks, you know? It hits, yeah. it hits it hits them all. So as a satisfying film, and as a film that um, sticks with me, it, it still lives and rent free in my mind, and I think about it a lot. Um, that for for that reason, I'm going to go a, a pretty good three and a half. Not a super solid, but a weak three and a half. Um, but it's making it to three and a half. So, so we have, yeah, we have pretty similar pretty similar views on yeah. it then and, and yeah, i yeah. think that's fair you know I, re- I really do well three and a half on that too i would definitely recommend it to someone and there's some any kind of one stars or half a stars or no stars films i would not recommend but this is it, it fits in that category of yes i would totally recommend this film for someone because it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a fun movie too so that's that's part of it is is the the amount that i was entertained while watching it was huge Yes, and I, I did like that scene where the ladies running through like that uh, floral maze, like that garden maze. Very cool. And it's trapped in that narrow wall sequence. That just feels very claustrophobic. Oh, very cool. Cobwebs and stuff, and she's trying to get out, and she's she's panicking. So, like I said, there are a handful of, of scenes in here that I found myself really enjoying, and and uh, yeah, I, I would recommend this to people too. I, I really would. I don't yeah. think. I don't think it deserves the accolades of like you know a couple of his other films, but I, if you could track down a copy, availability is a bit of an issue. Well, if shame. You can track down a copy, go get it. Good thing you know? we're talking about Shameless uh, Video here in this episode because Shameless has released a copy of Four Flies on Gray Velvet, and it's at Region uh, B, but it's only like seventeen bucks. So oh, that's modest. It's 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 good. So yeah, it's a good price. So if you're interested, you can go to Amazon.co.uk, pick that up, or go to the. I don't think it's available on their on their video on their website anymore. A lot of they they sell out and they wind up in the secondary market, but it's all over eBay. It's all over Amazon for a really good price. So pick it up. Even you, Rob, if you ever want a copy of Four Flies and you want to add to your Shameless collection, because I dude like they put out a cop, they put out a version of Stage Fright and they put out the Psychic, and. I was thinking about picking them up, but they're bare bones. They don't really have much on them. And just because the yellow case would look great on my shelf isn't really enough for me. Enough. No. Yeah. No. No, I understand, you know. but that's funny. I actually uh, sent Margo a screenshot tonight of a, of a Blu-ray. I, I asked her to get stage fright for me for uh, Valentine's Day, and that will probably complete my collection until I get different types of storage means. But I have to see the movie. It takes place, yes, at an auditorium, but a chainsaw-wielding killer wearing an owl mask? Come on. Yeah, we'll gotta do fuck it. Gotta have it. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely watch that one again. Um, or we'll watch it for sure. We'll watch it when you get your copy of it, if you get a copy of it. I don't have a copy, but Shameless put that out. Also, I think 
I don't know who else put that out. Maybe Synapse or something. I can't remember. But yeah, I think I think I recognize the Blue Underground font in the. Oh yeah, form. okay, it's Blue Underground then. So it seems pretty pretty consistent there, They're, and they give a lot of bare bone titles, but the picture quality and sound quality is always good. And if you are on a bit of a budget, like sometimes I am, um, prices is affordable. It's appealing. For sure. Now you want to talk a little bit about in the fold of the flush before we close, right? Yes, I do, because I feel somewhat bad that on a couple times I've I've kind of ran trauma through the dirt as, as being an <laughs> abysmal two-star rating, and we've ranted and raved about some of these beloved five-star films and some ones that are above average, like Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll and, and Torso, and we, we talked about Four Flies and Gray Velvet. Well, folks, Rob is telling you that we have another abysmal two-star film and it is in the folds of the flesh now i got this copy because me being me i couldn't resist getting strip nude for your killer and this one together shipping tax all that stuff 27 bucks i couldn't pass right very appealing sure yeah yeah so this is a severn dvd hold on rick you want to hear what it has for extras nothing theatric theatrical theatrical trailer oh yeah there you go pass oh yeah hard pass oh. hard pass for me <laughs> okay, one of the most bizarre gialli of all time, now uncut and uncensored for the first time ever in America. In a genre defined by shocking violence and psychosexual kink, it remains perhaps the most over-the-top giallo in Euro history. Former MGM starlet and doomed James Dean paramour, Pierre Angeli, two decades past her Golden Globe Award for Most Promising Newcomer, and just one year before her tragic death, stars in this ultra-lurid epic packed with decapitations, pet vultures, creepy incest, groovy fashions, cyanide baths, swirly psychedelics, inexplicable plot twists, Nazi death camp flashbacks, and more. Okay. So, uh, before, yeah. you, before you go into the story, just save me some... Yeah, don't go too much into the story because I want to watch this one. I, I, okay. wa- I watched the trailer before the show started because i wanted to know a little bit about it and the trailer looks completely awesome and i'm like there's no way i'm gonna hate this movie and then the trailer is like three and a half minutes long and into it like the nude black and white nazi death camp stuff starts up and i'm like okay and then like all of a sudden like the weird psychosexual stuff starts coming i'm like this movie is fucking nuts so just by the trailer alone i know it's going to be i think at least an amusing watch but I'm interested. Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? It looks interesting, but um, don't tell me too much about it because I do want to watch it. Okay, all right. Well, there's another, you know, mass get-together of family people at a common location. We see that in lots of Jolly. Of most, course, there's most of them, yeah. a blackmail angle. There's always has to be blackmail. Why this movie, in my humble opinion, gets two stars is because there is absolutely nobody in the entire cast that does anything to make them stand out, funny, amusing, exciting. It's it's like everybody in here is, is in like a wet paper bag. The cast is horrible. Okay. The death the death scenes are basically almost all the same. There's beheadings and then some of the bodies are dissolved in an okay, acid. Too bath. much still see too much. Too much info. Okay. All right. Well, and they take they take forever, forever with this um, guy who's captured by the police, and then by the time he finally comes back, 
he gets way, way, way too much screen time. Um, I know. I know. The trailer looks cool. The description looks cool. I read about this in the movie-thon book. The other guy said, oh, it's, it's, it's a good one. you got to track it down. Um, I'd be surprised. If you give this more than two stars, I'd, I'd really be surprised. Okay, um, yeah, because, um, you know, it's one that, um, it's a Mondo Macabre film, so I'm really interested in it. Anything Mondo Macabro is is up there for me, because, of course, they love Paul Nashie, and they put out a lot of his stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to check that out. Definitely going to check that out. If it got a Blu-ray release, I'm going to pick it up. Usually their Blu-rays are... Even though like the packaging is pretty bare bones and straightforward, they usually have really good documentaries and really good commentary and lots of cool stuff. So, um, yeah, there is Blu-ray versions of it out there. Cause, okay, I'll pick that up maybe. Yeah, I mean, I just like I said, get this in a combo with Strip Dude for your killer. I couldn't pass. So yeah. Um, Today, yeah. my copy of The Scorpion with Two Tails arrived. So as soon as I watch that, I'll pass it off to you, and you can watch it. Um, nice. I like that one the synopsis of it basically you know archaeological dig and and like cult and ritual and stuff like that so i'm kind of excited to see an 80s uh, martino movie well and then the artwork on the cover is the cover some of the artwork from house by the cemetery which is a little weird so oh yeah the the guy with the knife yeah yeah um so we'll see about that also my 4k copy of death wish arrived today so i'm very i'm very happy about that because we pulled a lot of inspiration for the script we're writing from Death Wish. And yeah. I mean, just visually, and I'm not going to say story-wise, it's it's really anything like Death Wish at all, but visually there there's a, it's a very similar, some sequences are similar to Death Wish. So, so we're gonna, I'm going to watch that. I'm really excited to watch that movie. It's one of my favorite films of all time, uh, featuring one of my favorite actors of all time, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> Charles Bronson. But, uh, yeah, it's the, it's the granddaddy of uh, vigilante justice films. There, yep. there you go. And I so have my, my copy of The Dentist and The Dentist 2 double feature came today from the Vestron Video Home th- Series, Collector's Edition Series, number 29 in my set. Excited about that as oh. well. So, so Boy, I'm just imagining that's <laughs> a lot of close-ups of people getting yeah. mutilated with sharp objects. And Corbin Burnson, man, Corbin Burnson. But, um, you know, Jalo Janroy is coming to a close. We have seven days full week left of the month hopefully we can do a couple more episodes at least one more before the end of the month and we'll go out with a bang and talk, yeah. talk i'll watch in the fold of the flesh i'll get a copy we'll watch autopsy the movie's fucking nuts i'll try to get through deep red we can talk about that and then you have hey, i tell you what yeah how we, about how about tomorrow or not tomorrow thursday how about tomorrow i bring you your copy of four flies i can pick up my house I can let you borrow my DVD of In the Folds of the Flesh if you want. I oh, yeah. Really don't, really don't know if you want to spend money on this one, but maybe, you, maybe you'll feel differently about it. Okay. Maybe you will. Let I me see. Know. Yeah. I was thinking, I have to look at my Mondo Macabro section. I may have picked it up over there. I keep looking mm, at sure. it, and I can't make out the spines from all the way over here. But, yeah, I would love to borrow that copy, and I'll give you this copy back of... Uh, House of the Laughing Windows. I really want a copy of this film. I just wish it was a Blu-ray so it would fit on my shelf because the DVDs are just too tall for my shelf with everything else. Yeah, yeah, they're they're about a half inch taller than a a Blu-ray disc. So yeah, yeah I understand. But well, anyway, those are our those are our films tonight. We covered a film by a well-known director, a film 
that uh, you would recommend to hardcore fans of the genre and a film that uh, I give you <laughs> very little motivation to see, but um, it certainly sounds appealing, doesn't it? But I, I doubt you'll feel the same way after watching it. I could be wrong, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I probably... I tend to like those bonkers movies a bit more, but I might like them for different reasons. Like, I actually really like that kaleidoscope double, the the light kaleidoscope, and then like the hardcore kaleidoscope vision. I think it's really weird. So yeah, no, so, I don't I don't have a problem with the way anything looked or, or or anything like that. It's just I already told you why I thought it kind of falls apart. But uh, yeah, no, I don't have a problem with any of the psychedelic imagery or you know, any of the colors or anything like that. That's all fine. It's just, to me, there's a lot of stuff in here that was not fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely get that. I definitely get that. Well, I want to make it through Forgotten Jolly 1, 2, and 3, It's or 3, 4, and 5, whatever. I've got all five volumes of it. I just was planning on doing all all the volumes of every Jolly I had this month, but, you know, that's okay. There's just more to watch, more to enjoy later on. But that was our episode this today this week and um if you'd like to check out the show you can look up film trauma on letterboxd under film trauma you can follow us on instagram at film trauma podcast you can follow me on twitter film trauma pod share like and subscribe our podcast wherever podcasts are found apple podcast spotify stitcher sirius xm pandora uh, wherever the hell else uh, Amazon, Audible. You can actually find our podcast on Audible, too, which is really cool. Um, nice. If you'd like to send me a message, if you want to talk about movies, if you want me to pass on a ship and a bottle note to Rob, I'll do that. And uh, <laughs> Wells Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can do that. And, uh, yeah, thanks have, for tuning have in. Have you got any feedback or any Q&A questions on any of the episodes? No, no. Only that people in, our sh- in Australia like our show. So, and I love people of Australia for loving our show. Absolutely. Thank you very much, guys. We appreciate that. Absolutely. Alrighty, I'm gonna All righty. Well, I'm going to get back Thursday writing. Thursday morning we'll swing you, okay? Thursday morning I'm going to get back writing our script. I'm going to send you some more script pages before the night is done. And we will see you later. All right, I'll get back to you tomorrow because I'm going to hit the hay here pretty quick. Right on. See ya. All right, take care. Bye-bye.